Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. All right. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I'm Catherine Murray, of course, um, I think as you know, and I'm always happy to be able to bring you, I think, some of the top minds in the investing investment world, the financial markets, which obviously have uh, been incredibly volatile since the beginning of the year and, and continue to be really volatile. And, you know, one day we're up, the next day we're down 300 points in the Dow and then finish mildly lower. So um, today I have for you uh, Hugh Johnson. Um, he is the chair, chief investment officer and founder of Hugh Johnson Economics um, and has been in the business for a very long time. Um, Hugh, thanks so much for joining us to give us some perspective from a macro perspective. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice to be with you, Catherine. Thank you. And Hugh, you know, there's, um, we're going to have a more of a macro conversation versus, you know, a stock specific conversation today because there really are so many currents. There's a lot of headwinds. We've been used to tailwinds for over a decade. Um, we've got people like a Jamie Dimon making comments, Janet Yellen making comments. That's probably adding a lot to the market narrative, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. I mean, Jamie Dimon getting on, he's very uh, respected and widely followed. And, um, you know, getting on and saying that we're headed towards a hurricane, that sort of rattled the markets, rattled investors, and led to a decline. After last week, we got that 6.6% increase or improvement in stock prices. And this week, we've given some of it back. And a lot of it is attributed to some of the comments that uh, he made. That scared a lot of investors. Hmm. Um, what, what do you make then of his comments saying that we're heading towards a hurricane? Well, I think, first of all, the word hurricane will certainly scare anybody. I mean, it's a real little bit of a dramatic expression or uh, comment on the current financial market economic environment. And I think it kind of overstates it, uh, overstates it by a lot. Uh, he's really effectively only saying that he thinks that the Federal Reserve is uh, going to be too hawkish, that they're going to raise interest rates too high and uh, somewhat consistent with financial and economic history, that that's going to lead to an economic uh, recession. Larry Summers, who is uh, former Secretary of the Treasury, also said effectively the same thing when he said that it's rare that we raise interest rates this much and we don't have a recession. So they're very concerned about that. And they're also concerned uh, about the, the war in Ukraine and the upward pressure on energy prices, which we've seen the upward pressure on commodity prices generally that we've seen and the, that'll lead to higher inflation. So combination of higher inflation, uh, put it all together, they're saying there's a recession on the horizon. And what do you think? I think it's a really tough case to make a case right now for a recession. And I put at the top of that list a number of things. First of all, the index of leading economic indicators, indicators that uh, Catherine try to give us an idea where the economy is headed, not where it's been. They've been up for 21 of the last 24 months. It's hard to make the case for a recession when we see that kind of performance in leading economic indicators. And one of those indicators is the yield curve. And historically, that's had a really good record of forecasting a recession. You can quantify the possibility or probability of a recession 
in 12 months by looking at the yield curve. Federal Reserve Bank of New York does that for us every month. And that, that probability now has dropped from roughly 5% to 3%. That's a low number. And huh. if you have a low number, a low probability of a recession, right now I'm going to go with it. But believe me, uh, I don't have a whole lot of confidence. I, I'd say that's where I am right now. Uh, things are slipping a little bit. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that that's probably going to be the outcome. In other words, this is going to be a correction and a severe correction. We've already seen the 20%. And I think that might be it. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're not going to see a bear market, which would be longer and more severe, which would be accompanied by a recession. So what, one of my concerns almost when we look at the market right now is, yeah, we've pulled back, you know, 10 or 20% or so. We've had a, an incredible run really for the past 12 years. Um, almost 12 years. Yeah, about 12. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, but I, I so remember vividly um, working at Goldman Sachs in the year 2000. And, you know, <clears throat> we were doing 12 IPOs a week. Um, tech stocks were on fire. And then we had the tech wreck or the tech crash. And a lot of those large cap companies haven't seen a good stock performance until recently three or four years. I mean, they were in bear, well, I wouldn't say bear market territory, maybe it was a proper valuation. My, my concern right now, Hugh, is that some of these stocks that have declined, you know, 20% or more, there's a lot of the market that's actually down 40, 50%, that it's not going to come back anytime soon. Do you share that concern? Like if, if someone owns a stock that's down 50%, like just sit with it, what do you do? Uh, no, I don't share that concern, and I don't share oh. that concern. There's a big difference between the year 2000 that you're looking at and the current period of time. And one of the big differences is if you take a look at the level of interest rates then and you take a look at the level of interest rates now, I know we're concerned about the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, and I know we're concerned about the fact that the yield in a 10-year Treasury has gone higher. But these, these yields, these levels of interest rates are nowhere near where they were in 2000. And so to some extent, when you have interest rates, you're the primary driver of price earnings ratios and valuation at a lower level, you can somehow live with or feel comfortable about valuation. Now that's not across the board, Catherine. I understand when you see the kind of performance, you know, 18% over 19 years, uh, uh, that's, or, or nine years, that's a really big number. And I know that sort of common sense instincts tell you that maybe, maybe they're not gonna come back. Maybe we're seeing all of that speculation dragged out of the market and that we're not going to see them come back. And I agree, the returns are going to be low, but I don't think they're going to be. This is going to be anything like what we saw in 2000. This is very different than the speculation that we saw in the year 2000. Very, very different. There's speculation. There's speculation that you have to be concerned about, especially if you look at things like Bitcoin. Um, if you take a look at the MEM stocks, there's no question there's speculation but it's not as widespread as it was in the year 2000 and interest rates are clearly different. Hmm. It's interesting that you say that the speculation is so different. Was it hotter then than I remember? It probably was. Oh, in, in the year 2000? Yeah. It was really hot. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember that, but, but, but there was a lot of companies that, you know, frankly, and, there, and it does to some extent exist today. They say should not have existed in the right. year 2000, and they got to trading at multiples. And this was a lot of stocks, some that should have existed. Cisco, I remember Cisco going very, very high. And that's a yep. company that was a good company, a successful company, and it survived, 
and it came down, but it then it performed reasonably well when we got to a reasonable valuation. But there were a lot of companies then that should not have existed and don't exist today. That, yeah. You don't have as many of those today. You have some of them. I mentioned the MEMS, MEMS stock craze. Yeah. And I mentioned, and I say this carefully, uh, the cryptocurrency craze, I guess you'd call it a craze. And that's a level of speculation, which I think is in some ways similar, or there's some similarities. And you've got to be very careful there. There is speculation, but I don't think it's as widespread as it was, Catherine, in the year 2000. Hmm. Okay, well, that gives me quite a bit of comfort. Um, let, let's talk a little bit as well about Janet Yellen, because that was another kind of headline risk that moved the markets. Yeah, uh, I, I, you're, you're talking to someone who has the highest level of respect for Janet Yellen that you could possibly find. She is just a very, very good... She's a good Secretary of the Treasury. She's a very, she was a great chairman of the Federal Reserve. She's a very, very good economist, extremely good. And she said that she was wrong when she forecast that inflation would not rise to the extent that it's, it's risen. And a lot of people said, well, how can we have confidence in the Federal Reserve, the Secretary of the Treasury, or policymakers in general in Washington? I can understand why people are skeptical or don't have a lot of confidence in what we hear from many policymakers in Washington. That's really understandable. But Janet Yellen is not one of them. She's really good and she's really honest. And she says when she's wrong, she says that she's wrong. To me, that just increases my confidence in Janet Yellen. I'm going to hear straight stuff from Janet Yellen. And I'm going to be hearing straight stuff from somebody who really knows what they're doing. So, but I guess, though, the market's concerned, a, you know, to your point about, you know, how do we have confidence in um, the Fed? And, and right now, of course, all eyes are on Fed Chair Jerome Powell and whether or not he can actually orchestrate a soft landing. So, you know, th that is a real risk, Hugh. Yeah, it's a big risk. And it's not, it's first of all, it's hard to say whether this is going to be a hard landing or a soft landing. But what gave the markets a boost last week, and it was given back a little bit this week, was the comments that was made from the open market meeting, the, the meet, last meeting, the May 4th meeting, of the Federal Reserve, of the Federal Open Market Committee. And in that meeting, they said um, they're going to certainly raise interest rates 50 basis points uh, at the June and the July meeting. And then there's a possibility when we get to September that they may, based on all of the numbers that they see, it's data dependent, data dependent, that they're going to possibly pause. That's what gave the market a lift, which means they're a little bit open-minded or they're willing to respond. Here's important. This is very important, Catherine. They're willing to respond to the numbers that they see coming out. And if indeed the increase in interest rates that we see is starting to have an impact on the economy, or we're yep. starting to see better inflation numbers, then they may back off in September. And that gave stock prices a real lift. Lower short-term interest rates, uh, less aggressive, a less hawkish Federal Reserve is going to be good for stock prices, but it's going to be data dependent. We'll have to look at the numbers as they come out in um, August and September. That's gonna be very important. At least they're open-minded. And that was about the first time we heard that. Yeah, and, and I think that it's interesting because obviously the market took it as this was a bit of a change in tone. And, and I've actually been saying, you know, for at least four weeks, Hugh, longer, I, I actually did um, post in an event um, with David Rosenberg, probably now about two months ago, Fame, famous economist, um, and uh, and I, I posed the question, 
you know, do you think that we could see a change in tone from the U.S. Federal Reserve, particularly because the economic data had started to we started to weaken, which is interesting when you take a look at the leading economic indicators saying that they still look good. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that there has been data that's been weaker. I think I almost think that um, the economy's done some of the work for the Fed itself so that the Fed won't have to be as aggressive. And I think that that's what we're starting to hear from them. Yes, you are. And that's really that's really perceptive. And, and you take a look at housing, for example, and you've seen the very sharp decline in housing activity, particularly new home sales. That's a pretty clear indication of problem. Take a look at the personal income, personal spending numbers that we had for the month of April. And you take a look at a lot of the personal consumption, which was pretty good numbers, was financed by savings. And the savings rate is down to 4.4%. It's being used. And we also know that as the months ahead, that the amount of help that individuals are going to get from the federal government is going to be a lot less. The federal government is spending a lot less, about 19% less money in 2000 fiscal year 2022 than they did in 2021. So the government is not going to come to the rescue or be of of much help. Depending on saving is not a good, is not a good deal. So the point is you're you're right. Uh, Not only have the numbers been a little bit on the soft side already, and you had some good inflation numbers when you look at the personal consumption expenditure index. If you take a look at that, you had some pretty good inflation numbers. And we're going to get a little bit better inflation numbers when we see the consumer price index for April. So you're right, Catherine. These numbers are kind of helping the Fed do its job. And the more numbers we see uh, during the month of June, uh, July and August and early September, I think it's going to add to the case that you've raised. And it's really good news to hear that to yeah. some extent they're going to be open-minded about it. And that's the yeah. key. Yeah, it, it definitely should help the market at least give a little bit of a floor, a bit of a buffer. But then the bigger overriding question, of course, is um, you know what the Fed cannot control, which is the war in Ukraine. I don't think that that's ending anytime soon, unfortunately. The pressure that that's going to continue to put on the energy markets and then also, you know, the supply chain issues, but more importantly, really the, the food issue and, and scarcity that we're seeing in Africa right now, let alone other places and let alone, you know, even here in Canada, um, I'm, I'm hearing, Hugh, that people who have never needed to go to a food bank are now calling and asking, how do I access the food bank? Like, that's scary. Yeah, it, it is. And anecdotally, and as well as when you look at the, the big picture numbers, things are, are troubling. I mean, it's not as though I'm trying to paint a rosy picture, and I'm not yeah. painting a rosy picture. I do think, though, and, and I, 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 you have to look hard, that some of this picture is changing. And it's changing for the better, but it's hardly perceptive. You're not going to see it if you go to a restaurant. You're not going to see it if you go to the food store. You're not going to see it yet. Um, but there are some numbers we've seen recently that suggest we're going in the right direction. We see that the kind of restrictions in China, for example, are starting to get lifted. We might start to see things get better as far as exports from China to the U.S. and some of the uh, obviously you know, supply side problems that that presents. We're going to see, I think we're starting to see some improvement in that. Uh, when we saw the purchasing manager survey for the month of April, it showed Purchasing managers, uh, the, the percentage of pers- purchasing managers seeing slower deliveries, bottlenecks, is declining. And the percentage right. of purchasing managers that are paying higher prices is now is also improving or declining. 
So we're starting to see some signs that, you know, it's not noticeable at your grocery store, but believe me, in time, I hope that we're gonna start to see lower rates of inflation on a monthly basis. And that means the year over year numbers are gonna get better. So the point is, I know this is painful. Uh, anytime mm -hmm. you fill up your car with gasoline, it's painful. Um, but it, 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 there, is, there are some signs, perhaps I'm being my congenital defect optimist again, um, but nevertheless, there's some signs I think that suggest things might be headed in the right direction and just cross your fingers and hope. Yeah, uh, on the inflation front. The, the one interesting aspect though that you, you bring up and I hear sometimes, which is, you know, year over year, the number is going to look better. But the absolute level, Hugh, is still going to be elevated versus yes. what people have been experiencing for the past 12 years. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. The, yeah, prices, prices that you pay, whether I think the pump, it might come down because we're going to see some things from out of Saudi Arabia. But nevertheless, uh, when you take a look at food prices and other prices, and particularly with the war in Ukraine and the extent to which the Ukraine, as well as Russia with fertilizer, uh, are really controlling uh, commodity prices. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 hard to make that case. There's no question. And your concerns, Catherine, as always, your concerns are well founded and really good common sense. And I can't. I wish I could. I wish I could say all is going to be well by September and the Fed will pause. I can't say that yet. Uh, it's too early to say that. But we're going to watch the numbers. So do you think then that the markets are just going to, I don't know, continue? They're almost directionless. I mean, I, I say that, yeah. but the market's been down. So that's not directionless, it's down. Um, but, uh, you know, on the day-to-day, -day, it's, I don't know, Q. It, how, what, how, how would you term this? Because a lot of people would say that the, the way the markets have been moving um, are indicative of a bear market, right? These are bear market rallies. What, what, what is it to Well, there's a difference between a correction and a bear market, and I call it a correction. But nevertheless, a decline in stock prices is a decline in stock prices. A rose by any other name is still a rose. But the point being is that I think that, you know, is that you're right. Um, it's hard to make the case for suddenly the, the, the clouds will lift and everything will be good again, sunny again. That's not the case. When I do my numbers, when I crunch my numbers, I say, uh, no recession, and I say that tentatively, but I say no recession. And the second thing I say is upside potential for stock prices between now and the end of 2022 is, you know, 4%. That's not a big number, but it's better than zero. And it's better than minus 4%. And I say this with some confidence, um, but, you know, nevertheless, watch it very carefully. And if the numbers tell me I got to change, uh, I'll change, but I think that's what it's telling me now. And the outside hope is is that the Fed will get numbers that tell them to pause in September. I'm really I'm not counting on it, but I'd like to see that to be the outcome. Is it bad that we are so dependent on the U.S. Federal Reserve to pause and therefore give the market a lift? I mean, that that's what we've become accustomed to. Or do we need to dig deeper and say they're pausing because the economy doesn't need them to tighten and therefore we've got a good economy, therefore earnings will grow and therefore the valuations are, are warranted. Yeah, they're, they're, if they pause, you hope that they pause because the evidence becomes clear that the economy is just not doing that well. It is slowing and it's gonna slow and they're gonna get that evidence. I'm pretty confident of that. 
And if it's also the case, they're going to get inflation, uh, leading indicators of inflation. We've seen a few lately um, mm -hmm. that show that inflation is going to come down. The consensus now, Catherine, let's keep it in mind, is that the rate of inflation is going to come down towards 2%, maybe 2.5% in 2023. I have it at 3.5% and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. But, they yeah. have, but the consensus is 2.5%. If we start to see signs that that's in the cards, then the Fed will pause. And this doesn't mean that it's, it's a happy days again for longer-term interest rates that they're going to come down to where they were last week. It means that interest rates are probably going to be around the 3% level. And I think we can live with that. And there's a chance. There's a chance. Larry Summers aside, there's a chance that we could indeed have a soft landing or the Fed could pull this off. There is a definite chance. And I just want everybody to understand that, Catherine, in my view anyway, it's one person's mm -hmm. view that there's a chance that this could be pulled off. And so between now then and year end, keeping in mind, of course, that the markets look forward to six months. So by fall of 2022, everyone's going to be looking at 2023. Um, but what do you think is the best way then to, to be positioned? And, and you know, what, what do you want to own right now? Yeah, great question. And, I'll, and here's my guess there. It's not a guess. I think if you want to know if, if we're right and it looks like we're headed towards a pause, or at least it looks like the Fed's not going to get more aggressive, like 50 basis points in September, if it looks like that monetary policy is not going to kill it off, um, like we're all a little bit worried about, then last week we got a hint at what you should be thinking about. And what you saw last week is not only the stock market go up, but you saw growth stocks start to outperform value stocks. And in the sector performance, Interestingly enough, consumer discretionary, technology, industrials, or economically sensitive so-called bull market stock sectors uh, performed at the top of the list. So if you want to know what's going to happen, there was your sort of sneak preview uh, last week. And I think that's what you should think of. But the one thing that's important is you notice I, I said, I'm not going to reduce my exposure to the equity markets. Longer term, of course, the case is very strong for equities. But I think in this cycle, this stock market economic interest rates cycle, I think that we still have further to go in this cycle. And I'm saying that with lots of confidence and my fingers crossed. Further to go into the upside. Yes, further to go in the up cycle, the economy is going to continue to expand. Stock market's going to go a little bit higher. It's not going to be great guns, but a little bit higher. I get very worried, Catherine, when I look at 2024. Uh, my numbers say, look out, uh, 24 could be a difficult year. But for now, I think hmm. we're, we're, we're okay. Okay, um, we're going to wrap it in a second, but I have to ask, um, why? What happens in 2024? Uh, basically, 2024, my yield curve numbers get very bad. Short-term interest rates going up. Uh, yield curve is going to start to, I don't want to say invert, but pretty close to invert. The probability of a recession gets very high. Essentially, rates are going to be at a level that are going to kill off the growth rate of profits. Profits growth is going to come down. It's going to come down from that 47% we saw in 2021 to less than 10%. I would put it at maybe 10 or 6% 6%, uh, 6 or 7% in 2024. So it, numbers just aren't going to add up to give us enough uh, room for a lift. And I think that's going to be a problem for the stock market. And that creates a problem for consumer confidence, consumer spending, and the economy. But why, why do you think that rates are going to be higher on the short end? Um, mainly because the, during this whole time, the Federal Reserve is going to be raising short-term interest rates. And so they're, so, going, they're going to keep going, in other words. Yeah, they're, they're a little bit, not a lot, but enough. And, and longer-term rates have come down a little bit. 
it's really a balancing act and uh, you'll, you'll see the yield curve tighten up and the probability of a recession uh, increase substantially. So, okay. It's not easy to understand that, but that's what, that's the source of my concern. I'm really concerned about that yield curve and I'm concerned about the leading indicators, but I'm concerned about the yield curve. Okay. But, but for now, stay, stay invested. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. Stay, hold tight. Um, keep your fingers crossed. Uh, watch carefully the numbers. Uh, take, you know, hopefully it says the Fed's going to be a little bit less hawkish or they'll put it, maybe even think about the pause in September. And if that's yeah. the outcome, I think we're going to be just fine through uh, 2022 and early part of 2023. It's in the second half of 23 when we're looking at 24 that mm, maybe we'll start to see things uh, get a little bit dicey. Okay. All right. Hugh, we're going to leave it there. Great to get your perspectives. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Always great to be with you, Catherine. Thank you. You too. Okay.